Authorizing. Task Force Pegasus. Captain Johnson speaking. All right. Situation's right proper fucked. We got ourselves a serious mess. Sergeant, brief the men. Yeah, a bloody mess. We're gonna bring them in. 12 kilometers north of Baghdad. Bring your men, bring your guns. Grab your gear, God save the queen. Let's do this. All right, listen up, you weaklings. My name is Colonel Bean, and I'm the commanding officer of Task Force Pegasus. This is my number two, my XO, Lieutenant Huggard. Lieutenant Huggard, talk to these, talk to these goofballs. Roger that. I'm here with Nicholas Cage, it seems. That's right, Nicholas Cage, Colonel Bean, whatever you want to call me, call sign Diamondback. Today, on 805 and Revolt, guess what we're doing? Have you already guessed? Are you intuitive? Are you psychic? Is it in the title? We're talking about Call of Duty Modern Warfare 1 and 2. More importantly, we're talking about the politics and the psychology of these games and the way that they captured the cultural moment in which they were released. This is going to be a deep, immersive, forensic analysis of the COD franchise as it existed in the year 2007 and the year 2009. And we're just sort of going to be going through it piece by piece with you, the good people at home. Russell, talk to these haters. Look, everyone remembers these games. Everyone played them. You, me, yeah. Maybe you don't know these new ones. I don't even know what they're called. Yeah, I think, I believe... Psychedelic Future Warfare. Call of Duty, Psychosexual Spiritual Warfare. But the classics. Jurassic Warfare. Modern Warfare. Modern Warfare 2. Also known as COD Mod 2 on the uh, back alleys of Matillaha Junior High. It was called that. That was its street name. COD Mod. COD Mod Dose. And even if you didn't... No quick scopes. Even if you didn't really play video games, there was one time where you were, just, you were definitely stuck in someone's garage. Oh, yeah. It smelled like feet. It smelled like Axe body spray and yeah. ball sweat and Domino's pizza. And you were running and gunning through the slums of Brazil with Task Force 141. You were staring at that new flat screen TV. Doesn't Ooh. matter. Doesn't matter if you're a guy or a girl. You, were, you had that moment. If you were a preteen in the late 2000s, early 2010s, you experienced the modern warfare mindset. The modern warfare, it was like a communal psychosis. These games are absolutely insane. I've spent the last week on YouTube pouring over the cutscene compilations and reading through the Call of Duty Wikipedia pages. And folks, I'm ready to get into it. We're going to start with the, what was, what would we call this? It was the genesis. It was the, the renaissance of the COD franchise, which up until this point had only made World War II games. Games where you were hanging out with the boys, fighting the Germans, smoking cigars, talking about Babe Ruth and Babe Ruth hitting home runs and how when you got home to the world, you were going to hold your girl's hands and kiss her on the lips. 
all right? Nice, wholesome, family-oriented World War II games where the bad guys were bad guys. And they lost at the end, and you won. You won. You beat those fucking Germans. It was the good war. It was red, white, and blue. Fuck you. We got you by the balls. But then, in the year 2007, a good year by all, you know, very good for music, culture, film. You go out. You buy a PlayStation 3 or an Xbox 360. Maybe you're a kid who plays this game on computer. I don't know. But this game comes out the holidays of 2007, I believe. It was the end of 2007. Now, if we could just for a moment reflect on what was happening in America in 2007. George Bush was president. His reign was coming to an end. It was his second term. The war in Iraq had been raging for four years. The war in Afghanistan had been raging for six years. The global war on terror was a, it was and is an unending, just nightmare. Americans sent to every corner of the earth to die. The government was lying about why, was lying about who were, you know, who were our enemies, who were our friends. We were in business with countries like Saudi Arabia, still are that seemingly have more ties to terrorists than anyone else. And, you know, it was just a very confusing, nightmarish time. Guantanamo Bay was a huge topic. Guantanamo Bay was going down. You had the Abu Ghraib prison scandal where American soldiers were sexually abusing and torturing Iraqi prisoners in Abu Ghraib, which was a prison uh, under Saddam. And America, after the invasion, sort of, co-opted it and turned it into our prison as opposed to bulldozing it and building a hospital and actually, you know, trying to provide a service to the Iraqis as we claimed we were doing when we invaded, we just, we became the new dictator. And in the year 2007, as the insurgency and the resistance against American occupation increased in its ferocity and it was clear that things, this would not be an easy war as the Bush administration had told everyone this would not be Grenada 2.0. This would not be, oh, yeah, no problem. Hey, we knocked off Saddam. Woo, party on, dude. You guys want some blue jeans? You guys want some foreigner? Hey, you guys like Marie Callender's? No, this was not going to be that at all. The American presence was at every turn resisted violently, you know, insurgency, roadside bombs, all sorts of hellacious, brutal, just urban warfare, madness in the streets of Baghdad. And so in 2007, the Bush administration embarked on what's now known as the troop surge. And they deployed an extra over 20,000 American soldiers into Iraq. Every soldier who was already in Iraq had their tour of duty extended. And this was the idea of we're just going to go all in. The full weight of the American military will be brought down on Iraq. And as this is unfolding in the background... COD comes out. And this is a time the national atmosphere was very tense. The anti-war movement was faltering. There was this prevailing sense of, as I remember it, being in sixth grade. Sixth or seventh grade. I, I think I was in sixth grade. There was this prevailing sense of just kind of hopelessness and just apathy. It was really a sad time. And Sam, what better way to get rid of that stress than Call of Duty Modern Warfare. 
What better way to boost the morale of the American citizenry than to show them that war isn't that bad? It's kind of cool. It's kind of cool. There's stories. Forget those things you hear about. Yeah, prisoners being tortured, children being slaughtered by military contractors. Like, what? Hit the snooze button, libtards. We're talking about some cool shit here. We're talking about rolling tanks down, blowing some shit up, making some wisecracks with your buddies. You know, maybe riding, riding in the snow. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's a snow mission every now and then. It's not always going to be desert warfare, dipshits. Wake up. It'll be fun. Let's get some Russians in here. Yeah. Have a good time. Some vodka. Yeah, let's expand NATO membership into the Eastern Bloc. Why not? What could go wrong? So... So this was also, as the war in Iraq intensified, as the troop presence was expanded by the tens of thousands, and there was seemingly no end in sight, George Bush and his administration, his foreign policy machine, also was pivoting a more hawkish stance on Russia. And they outlined the construction of a missile defense system in eastern Poland and a radar base in the Czech Republic, both countries that had you know, historically been in the Russian sphere of influence. And, of course, NATO membership was going out into the south south of Europe, you know, the former Yugoslav states, the Baltic states, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania. And from the Russian perspective, this was encroachment. Vladimir Putin compared the building of the base in Poland to the Cuban Missile Crisis, basically drawing a parallel between, you know, Soviets moving nukes Close to right us. on our doorstep to now the Americans putting their troops right on Russia's doorstep. So all this is happening, and the game Call of Duty comes out. And wouldn't you know it, the game's story is split between two alternating threads. First, you start in the Middle East. So the game's campaign starts in the year 2011, which the game came out in 07. You start in 2011, and it opens up in an unnamed Middle Eastern nation where a mysterious, devious, sadistic, military madman named Khaled al-Assad has just completed a successful coup. He's fully assumed control of the country. Now, Khaled al-Assad is sort of a XP amalgamation of Saddam Hussein and Osama bin Laden with a few hints of Muammar Gaddafi. Yeah. <laughs> I would say a sprinkling you know when you sprinkle yeah, a little cinnamon in your oatmeal? When they don't have the- <laughs> A light little sprinkling of Gaddafi. Now, uh, I believe Saddam had been executed when this game came out, but bin Laden was still very much at large. Gaddafi was still running Libya, and al-Assad's, the man with a very similar name to him, Bashir Assad, was still running Syria. Totally. They totally right. just took names. <laughs> yeah, this is pre-Arab Spring when this game came out. So you still had Mubarak in Egypt, Assad in Syria. Gaddafi was still big dicking in Libya, doing, you know, like riding dinosaurs and getting plastic surgery. So anyways, our antagonist, Khaled al-Assad, has taken control of this unnamed oil-rich. They make it clear that this is an oil-rich country. He's taking control. And just like he's a, uh, a weird mix of bin Laden and Hussein... His ideology is a half-baked combo of the Saddamist Arab nationalism 
and the bin Laden jihadism. It's all very vague. Yeah, it's like he's oppressing of people, but he's also doing terrorist attacks. Yeah, he's he. The one thing that's made clear, all very vague. The one thing that's clear is that this dude does not like the West. He hates the West. He hates denim. He hates Justin Bieber. He he likes the Quran, and he wants to nationalize his country's natural resources, which. That's going to be a probby wobby for Uncle Sam. So I'm just going to quote Khaled al-Assad. I'm going to quote the speech he makes to start the game. Okay, this is his, these are his words, not mine, Mr. CIA man. <laughs> Our armies are strong. And he does talk like this. I want to be clear. This is actually how he talks. And he wears a, a maroon beret and all his followers wear maroon berets. They're the maroon five. <laughs> Our armies are strong. And our cause is just. As I speak, our soldiers are nearing their objectives, by which we will restore the independence of our nation. Our noble crusade has just begun. Just as they laid waste to our country, we shall lay waste to theirs. So that's how the game starts. It's with this menacing, very like generalized, yeah. kind of cookie-cutter bad guy speech. It's definitely for young teenagers. Yeah, it's, you go, oh, I, I recognize that. Yeah. Is that Saddam Hussein or is that yeah. Bin Laden? Or? It's just for if you're, you've taken a social studies class. Yeah, it's like you the know? first. Yeah. You're like, oh, okay, I think I understand that these guys are bad and America's good. Uh-huh. They're all wearing matching berets. Yes. So they're either mimes or they're terrorists. <laughs> There's nothing else these guys could be. And it's pretty clear they're terrorists because all the... Al-Assad executes the president of this country who he had just deposed this guy. He executes him. And you get to one of the missions. This is a first-person game. You assume the role of the president as you are led to your execution. And you watch as Al-Assad and his men like burn shit and are like drinking and shooting their guns in the air and doing all kinds of evil stuff. Evil... Evil Muslims. This is what the Middle East is like. Yeah, very scary stuff. Now, of course, us being sixth graders. Uh, yeah, you took awesome. that shit in. You're like, these guys are bad. <laughs> this is some serious shit. Yeah. Like, mom, do you know what's going on with Khaled al Assad? Do you even read the news, mom? Or is it maybe, mom, I have to go to my friend's house because I can't see that, let you see that I'm yeah. playing this game. Mom, I'm part of a black ops team. <laughs> and you are. Because you get to play, you, six, you know, sixth grade Sam Bean, for, for a few hours a day, you get to put aside your gangly-limbed, smelly existence and become Sergeant Paul Jackson, the most awesome American, red-blooded, firm handshake-giving, garage-full-of-power-tools type dude who's part of a Marine Force recon team which is the elite sort of long-range infiltration intelligence-gathering unit of the Marine Corps. Now, his team is led by Lieutenant Vasquez, who's a big, thick king with a sort of a Vin Diesel vibe. Yeah. He says, hey, Jackson, get on the... And then you have Paul Griggs. I'm sorry, just Sergeant Griggs. I don't know where Paul came from. You have Griggs, who's your totally jacked, machine gun-toting, wise-cracking black guy who at, at one mission, 
you fight your way through a state television station and Griggs takes control of the broadcast, turns off the propaganda and puts on hip hop music and says, that's what I'm talking about. So that's who Griggs is. Yeah, he's, uh, you know, they wanted to make sure that um, everybody playing the game, no matter what color their skin, could have a uh, friendly person to look at, I guess. Yeah, Griggs is a mammy man. It's a really, there's, there's, there's no character in this game that's not stereotyped. Exactly. When, when a person in the game talks, their words appear as subtitles. And when Griggs says shit, it's spelled S-H-E-E-E-E-I-T. Like, shit. Like Clay Davis from The Wire. The only person who doesn't talk is you, mm-hmm. character, because you Sergeant Paul Jackson is a man of few words. Sergeant Paul Jackson is a disembodied machine gun yeah. floating through a war world. So, the Marines invade, because they're like, Fuck this bullshit, all Assad, fuck your beret, fuck everything you're about. You ride in helicopters over the choppy waters of the Gulf, past the oil rigs, which is a cool mission intro. This game is really fucking cool. I cannot stress that enough. Very bad, but cool. You're looking for all Assad, you're kicking in doors, you fight through the uh, television station like I already mentioned. He's nowhere to be found. He's MIA, all right? As this is going on, you start to like, where is Assad? Where's this dude? He's in his presidential palace. The intel comes back. You launch an all-out assault on the presidential palace, which is a digital reconstruction in the game. It's the identical picture of Saddam Hussein's Republican palace. And now the Republican palace was Saddam's. It was the seat of his power. It's where he had all his meetings with his boys, with the Ba'athist party. It was a huge, opulent, just... Like medieval style. And don't forget the statues. Yeah. And everywhere there are the statues that look exactly like the Saddam Hussein statues. Oh, in the game, yes. Yeah. Well, as you're walking through the streets of this unnamed, oil-rich, exotic land, there's these massive, yeah, just like dominating the landscape are these statues of Al-Assad that look Strike. <laughs> strikingly familiar. <laughs> yeah, kind of, I think I've seen that before. Did they pull those down? Kind of looks like the Oscar statue. <laughs> okay, so you fight your way to the presidential palace. You're in an Apache attack helicopter because Sergeant Paul Jackson does it all. He's not a pussy. He doesn't <laughs> just have one thing. He plays guitar, drums, he sings. It's awesome. Paul Jackson is a beast. But you know what? He's a man. And every man must die. And when it turns out that Al-Assad is not in his palace, but rather a nuclear weapon is, and that fucking weapon goes off, it kills everyone. The entire American forces are detonated, eviscerated. uh, Who are you? You're on a helicopter. You're in a helicopter and it spins out of control, crashes into the ground. There's... There's a brief little mission where you you're trying to say you're like crawling through the rubble, oh my. and your vision is obscured, and you're like hacking up your lungs, and you're it's experiencing this. You're a 12 year old kid, and you're watching this like apocalyptic nightmare from the first person. And you see other people. Yeah, you see the begging for help. Yeah, and you're just like you're looking at it, and then you wait, and then you're like, "Fuck, this is awesome." <laughs> Mom, I'm a I've grown up. So this is what nuclear weapons are. Yeah. 
But the main point there is that Al-Assad, Al-Assad had WMDs. He had them. He had them. We had to go in because despite what the liberal media was telling you, despite what Noam Chomsky and his communist friends were telling you, this motherfucker had WMDs. You want the proof? The proof is Sergeant Paul Jackson's dead body. So sad. It was a, a nightmare. You just met this guy and you yeah. became him. I was him. I, yeah. I lived his life. I loved his wife. <laughs> I flipped burgers for his children. But turned out, turned Rudy out, Giuliani was right. Giuliani was right. Bush was right. Rumsfeld was right. Al-Assad had nukes. So you're dead. Paul Jackson's dead. But meanwhile, in the country of Russia, the exotic, snowy... Oh yeah, we're going to Russia. We're going to Russia. But not you and me, the British SAS, who are the top tier of the um, the British military, the SAS. It's like the Green Berets or whatever. They're like, Delta Force. Yeah, they're they're, they're like Force. super sick. All black everything. Mustaches. Big forearms. Big beefy guys who will just put you on the ground. And they're going behind enemy lines into Russia where a civil war has broken out between government loyalists and the scary rebels who, much like al-Assad, the rebels have a very vague sort of ethereal liminal ideology. But the one thing we do know is that they like hammers and sickles and they like red stars. There's a lot. Of that, I think every mission at the beginning shows the hammer and the sickle. As you're walking, every every other car has it. Oh yeah, there's stars everywhere. Oh yeah, no these these guys they want to make Russia Soviet again. That's basically their their vibe. They're led by a dude named Imran Zakayev, who's a one-armed evil overlord. And he also has a tracksuit-wearing, chain-smoking son named Victor. Tracksuit is important. Yeah, tracksuit is very important. Nice royal blue, white stripes. Very handsome tracksuit. Now, the anti-Russian stereotypes are really hard to overstate in these games. There's basically two types of Russian in the Call of Duty-verse. There's the ruthless, like just brutal murder machines who have no empathy and are hell-bent on destroying the world. And then there's the bombastic, bumbling drunks, one of whom becomes your friend, a man named Kamarov, who, as he approaches you, it's implied that he reeks like vodka. And all the Russians also have a... a yeah, just, the one thing they have in common is... The voice. accent. Yes. Yeah. Russell, demonstrate a cod Russian accent. You, you need to come with me. <laughs> Pretty much that. Hello, friends. Hello. I was just wrestling a bear and riding a horse on the steep of Russia. Well, we didn't think anything of it. No, of course, that's how Russians talk. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's their whole country. That's what they are. Yes, we all drink vodka and wrestle beers. They're like the Irish, but a little more, a little more gritty. A little more dark. Got a lot of snow, apparently. Yeah, yeah. Real cold in Russia. Real fucking cold. Alright, so you are now an SAS operative. And your name is Soap McTavish. 
Soap. 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 They say, soap, get over here and lay down some cover fire. You're Scottish, but you're fighting for the queen. Whatever. Your team leader is Captain Price, a mustache, big, burly British fuck who wears bucket hats. And then there's Gaz, who is the British funny guy. He's the British Griggs. He has a really strong Bear Grylls vibe, like a man versus wild energy. Um, you know, like he's the cool, witty, handsome Gaz. Yeah. You know, go with Gaz and put down yes. some fire. <laughs> go with Gaz. You go, you go with Gaz. Go with God. Go with Gaz. So the nuke has gone off. And the SAS team, who is in Russia, now goes to Azerbaijan, once again violating another country's autonomy. <laughs> but don't be a pussy. Everyone is doing it. It's cool because they're SAS and they're sneaky and... They go in behind enemy lines. You thought those Americans were cool at the game when they burst through the door. The British are way sick. And these guys come. Nothing was as fun as the British missions. So they find out that al-Assad is hiding in a safe house in Azerbaijan, which is also a Muslim country. So, of course, logically, since all Muslims are united in a conspiracy to destroy Justin Bieber and destroy Domino's Pizza, of course he'd be hiding there. Wake up, liberals. Yeah, and, and why not? I mean, they're all the same, and... Yeah, they, they, they pray to the moon god, and his... I mean, come on, wake up. They all have the same names. They all sound the same, at least the way... The video game says it. Yeah, I mean, I all my knowledge about Islam is from the Call of Duty franchise, <laughs> but, I mean, that's a pretty reputable source, and these guys are up to no good. So, the SAS boys, Captain Price, Gaz, and Soap. Soap. They infiltrate into Azerbaijan, and wouldn't you know it, the intel was proper. Al-Assad is hiding out in a fucking safe house like a cowardly bitch. Now, were they predicting the future, kind of? In regards to what? Uh, bin Laden. I mean... Um, maybe. That was kind of... Maybe. I mean, I, th I think making these games and all these random stories, mm -hmm. they're bound to make one little prediction. I think it's more likely that the CIA wrote these games, and since the CIA was <laughs> hiding bin Laden, that um, it's sort of a Freudian slip. Yeah. But anyways, <laughs> this pussy is hiding in a fucking safe house. He's not man enough to detonate the bomb on the ground. He did it remotely like a fucking pussy. Like, you're not even tough, dude. So Captain Price beats the shit out of him. They show, they show, they show. you they show you torturing him. Yeah. Beating him brutally while he's tied to a chair. And then you execute him. No due process. You don't bring him in, in, you don't bring him in for capture or to stand trial for human rights abuses. You just shoot him. And you know when we when that happened in the game when we were playing it, yeah, uh, just like the um, when the nuke went off, it was it just was cool. Like that's cool. This is cool. It's cool. Well, he had it coming because yeah, he killed Sergeant Paul Jackson. The bad guy. You're like, oh, they're beating him up. Oh, they shot him in the head. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so then the team links up with wouldn't you know it, Sergeant Griggs, who miraculously survived the explosion. It's not mentioned how. He just why? did. Why would, you, no, why would they mention it? Yeah, Griggs, he's nuclear proof. And they form, America and Britain form a multinational task force to take down Imran Zakhaev, the evil one-armed Russian. Are you getting confused by the names? Because yeah. we were too. Yeah. They're all, they end with Zs. Okay, so Zakhaev, he provided the nuclear weapons that Assad used. 
Now, Captain Price has this epiphany, and he says, I knew Zakayev. I took a shot at him in 96. Flashback mission. What? Dark origin story. Captain Price was sent on an assassination mission from the Queen to kill Imran Zakayev in 96. But he fucked it up, and he just blew the guy's arm off. Yeah, probably one of my favorite missions in probably the whole Modern Warfare games. Um, it was cool at the time, and it's probably cool now. I haven't played it in a while. It's probably fun regardless. Doing research for this episode gave me like a, a like hankering, like a Jones, to just be back in Cameron's garage with a controller, two Mountain Dews deep, smelling my own farts, just carrying out black op assassinations. <laughs> and yes, folks, it is a flashback mission. The year is 96. Nirvana and the Notorious B.I.G. are on top of the charts. And you are crawling through the weeds of Ukraine on a top secret mission to assassinate, assassinate, assassinate Imran Zakayev. Now, Captain Price... When he's telling you his flashback story, he says, This was the first time our country had ordered an assassination since the Second World War. Which is just um, incorrect, <laughs> I want to say. Uh, patently false. But true to the sixth graders we were. Of course. You're like, oh man, well, if the Queen wants this guy dead, it must be serious. But uh, just for the record, the British government and the SAS in particular, they like assassinations. They do them all the time. Just ask the Irish. The SAS committed a litany of human rights abuses and extrajudicial killings during the unrest in Northern Ireland. That's what they were known for, was torturing and murdering Irish peasants who were standing up for their rights. So, okay, whatever. You're crawling through the weeds of Ukraine. Enough of that gay shit, right? Back to the game, all right? Where are you heading? You're heading to Pripyat the town that was left vacant by the Chernobyl nuclear disaster. As Captain Price says, Chernobyl was Christmas for the bad guys. They tried to get their hands on nuclear fuel rods. Couldn't let that happen. So, you crawl through the wastes, you take a shot at Zakayev, but you only hit him in the arm. Blow his arm off. Zakayev hates you. Now, I will say that this mission... <laughs> the great thing is that you go through Pripyat and you know you kind of hear about Chernobyl. Pripyat, Pripyat, and um, then you find out that this you know Chernobyl accident was a thing that happened in real life. Yeah, I know it was real. And you're like, so they, as kids, in a way, some of these things um, I don't know got us learning about history no i learned about chernobyl through call of duty yeah same for me so i know yeah it's kind of weird sometimes it's a weird way to be introduced to a concept is by immersing yourself in a first person recreation um yeah very very dark strange way to teach children is by having them you know saunter through the cold war and and shoot it out with i don't know very strange stuff yeah and um I'm not sure if in 1996 or at any time after the disaster, you could just uh, kind of go in there and, and, and just get nuclear rods. <laughs> I think you would die. You could if your name was Imran Zakayev. 
He's a he's a crazy son of a bitch, isn't he? So you blow his arm off. He hates you. He hates Captain Price. He decides, all right, fuck it. And back to fast forward back to 2011. So KF says, I've had enough of these fake ass haters, bro. I'm launching a nuclear strike on the on the American Eastern Seaboard. I'm taking down Philly. I'm taking down New York. I'm taking down Miami, and I'm taking down Boston. Time to scare us. Yeah. Now, as a New Yorker, I said, you can go ahead and blow the fuck out of Boston because I don't give a fuck about Boston. No. So Zakaev launches an all-out nuclear assault on the American East Coast. The SAS and the Marines launch a counter-strike, a suicide mission into the heart of Zakaev's power to shut down the nukes before it's too late. And they succeed. And Zakaev is killed in the ensuing gun battle. But... So is Gaz, so is Griggs. Very tragic. Very tragic. Zakaev puts one in Gaz's brain, dude. You're you're with these guys for like every day after school for like six yeah. hours. No, you have putting like, in the time, and you these are your know friends. Them. Like Gaz is like he talks about beer. He's like, we're gonna have a cold one after this mission, right? And Griggs is like, man, I'm Griggs. Never you know? before that had I been excited when in a video game someone tells me. Go along with Gaz. Oh, help man. You out. I'm like, yeah. fuck. <laughs> okay, me and Gaz. I gotta do good. Sam and Gaz sitting in a tree. K I S N I P I N G. S A S. Yeah. Okay, so Gaz is dead. Griggs hit me the hardest, actually, because he's dragging you away, and then a bullet yeah, goes through his heart, and yeah. you see his face well, lifeless. <laughs> but you survive. Soap survives. Captain Price, his fate is left. We don't know. Is he dead? Is he alive? Last time we saw him, he was coughing up blood. All right, that's the end of Modern Warfare 1. Very vague ending, much like the game itself. It kind of fades to black. Ooh, what's going to happen next? Will there be a sequel? I don't know. All right, back to life, back to reality. Call of Duty Modern Warfare 1. We've beaten the game. We're up and out of sixth grade. We go to Matillaha. We're now in eighth grade. We're coming out of our cocoon. We're in that gross, like, puberty anamorph phase. Yeah, you're sweating a lot. Nothing makes sense. Your limbs are too long. Your hands are too big. There's all kinds of things happening. You don't like it. Yeah. And you feel the need for something. Yes. Something you once had in sixth grade. You feel empty. but I mean, gym class is scary. There's all these guys you don't know. Some of them pull your pants down and might make fun of your wiener. And maybe your name is Sam. I don't know. Okay, the year is 2009. Obama is president. Yeah, a different and president. Different president. And it's Obama. He's nice. He's cool. He plays basketball. He's, kind of, he's like fun. It's like lit. Obama. He's also a war criminal. That's right. The Obama administration maintained a very, very hawkish foreign policy. They were just more PR savvy about it. Well, they, we didn't know that at the time. No, of course we didn't. We were like, look at Obama. He's awesome. He's cool. But he was also expanding the war on terror to different countries. He was vigorously investing in an American drone program that would kill people without due process, that would murder civilians, that even killed an American civilian without any sort of legal process. Just drone striking motherfuckers left and right. 
and the Obama administration also, this is when Hillary Clinton was our Secretary of State, these are during, during his early years, Obama ran on a platform of the Russian reset. We would, we would draw down tensions with Russia, and we would have a good working relationship with the Russian people. Now, Hillary Clinton had a meeting with the Russian foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, and they brought this big red button. Remember the Staples button on the commercials? Yes. Hit that for binders and paper. It was like one of those buttons, big red button. And they wrote what they thought was the word reset oh, in I Russian on that. it. Oh. But it was not the word reset. It was the word overload. Okay? <laughs> so they presented the Russian foreign minister, who's a tall guy. He's like 6'4". I like, I like this guy. <laughs> they presented him with this big button. And they're like, it says reset. We're going to reset our relations. Now, the optics of the, uh, the button are troubling enough, given that our two countries spent years with, you know, <laughs> their fingers on the metaphorical <laughs> button of nuclear destruction. So the optics are troubling enough, but... The fact that we just are trying to do this big thing and it's the reset and yeah. you can't get the fucking button. You'd think the State Department has maybe one person who's fluent in Russian, but yeah. I guess not. I guess that's how little they tried. But really, I think it's more emblematic of how little they cared and that this was just a sort of a very shallow um, photo opportunity. So whatever. They present him with this button. He's like, if you watch the video, he's like genuinely mystified. He's looking at them like, are you? He doesn't know what to. Like, because not only does it not say reset, it says overload. And he's. (laughs) It says overload. It's kind of like if you remember the Academy Awards. With Moonlight. Emma Stone. Uh Uh-huh. And they said La La Land. But it was like when that woman was staring at it. Yes. It was that exact vibe. (laughs) Only this was a lot more consequential, I would say. Maybe. I don't know. La La Land should have won. Just kidding. Uh, Didn't see it. Never saw it. What do you think of La La Land, Russell? Yeah. I can't say right now. (laughs) City of stars. Are you shining just for me? It's weird. City of stars. My dad got another gun. (laughs) Okay. So... Hillary and the American State Department, by extension, has completely botched the so-called reset. And Obama, likewise, it's clear that he has no intention of working with the Russians. Actually, he draws a very, very aggressive stance on Russia and on Russian-centric issues. So, in the year 2014, when Ukraine has a revolution that topples its pro-Russian government, a government that looked east that was very much its largest trading partner was Russia. Russia was its big brother, basically. Now, a lot of people in Ukraine don't like this government because it's notoriously corrupt, because they don't feel represented. They don't feel like they have a voice. So 2014, February 2014, seven years ago now, right? Yes. Yes. There's a huge uprising in Kiev and then throughout Ukraine. The government is toppled, okay? New leaders are brought in. These are the opposition leaders, and they want to establish close ties with the EU and the United States and the Western world. They want to move away from the tight, dependent relationship with Russia and towards the sort of Western European democratic model. Obama and his boys aggressively back this revolution. In a 2016 survey, 34% of Ukrainians regard this revolution as an illegal armed coup. So there's mixed feelings about what happened in 2014 in Ukraine today. Yeah. Um, it was just one of those things where 
sides. Like, just let the people yeah. of Ukraine do it. Hands off. If and, they want to have a revolution, uh, but it's not our business. But, you know, the U.S. is notorious for being like, oh, yeah, well, here you go. Take more guns. <laughs> give it to whoever you yeah. want. You guys like to party? <laughs> you like you guys like girls? You guys like coke? So a new government is brought in. They're very pro-EU, very pro-United States. Putin and Russia, they see this as more encroachment. America's already adding more and more European countries to NATO. They feel increasingly threatened, increasingly encircled, like America is drawing a noose around Russia's neck, which we kind of are, tactically, (laughs) strategically, like that is what's happening. In eastern Ukraine, an area where there's a lot of ethnic Russians, Ukrainian citizens, ethnic Russians, who speak Russian, who have family, cultural, historic ties to Russia, they oppose the revolution. And they rise up and have a counter-revolution of their own. And Putin supports this counter-revolution. He sends the troops into the Crimean Peninsula, and Russia annexes the Crimean Peninsula, adds it to the Russian Federation. Uh, There's a, what would you call it, a referendum, a vote is held in Crimea. It's a contested vote. Uh, I think the UN doesn't recognize it as legitimate. But regardless, 97% of the people in Crimea voted to join the Russian Federation. So Russia fully annexes Crimea. To this day, it's now part of the Russian Federation, which no one, no other nation recognizes that as legitimate. But during Obama's time in office, tensions with Russia were at an all, I mean, not an all-time high, but they were higher than they had been in a long time, in decades. Yeah. They were very high. I think one of the key reasons that Obama took such a hard line with Russia is because he needed a boogeyman. But he knew his boogeyman couldn't be Islamic terrorism because that was Bush's boogeyman. And Obama had ran on a very sort of, we're going to reconcile, we're not going to be bigoted. Because the Bush administration was very open with its anti-Islam, with its you know wholesale labeling of Islamic people as terrorists, with its unconstitutional surveillance of mosques in New York and on the East Coast, with the FBI violating... Muslims' rights. And that was why it was kind of, I mean, it doesn't matter if you like the movie or not, but that's why Sasha Baron Cohen was able to do that Borat movie. Right. It's a reflection of the Bush administration. Yeah, that the scene at the rodeo where he, where he sings that George Bush will drink the blood of Iraqi men, women, and children, I think is pretty reflective of the atmosphere I remember feeling as a kid during the Bush administration, where it was rah, 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 fuck, fuck them all. But if he had been playing, you know, a character that was supposed to be from some area of Russia and all funky and said, you know, drink the blood of Russians, they probably would have just been kind of confused and been like, uh, you know, they wouldn't have been such in such outrage. No, the hatred wasn't there. So. Um, the Bush administration was really keen to stir up anti-Islamic sentiment and to basically make it part of its platform when Bush ran for re-election. So Obama knew he couldn't have that same, that same stance. So he pivoted towards Russia as his bad guy and to the, the slandering of the Russian people as this evil, looming, imperial, just dominating machine. When in all reality, that's kind of what we were doing. And we were sort of using Russia as a mirror for ourselves. That's some deep psychology, bro. You're seeing yourself and your enemy, bro. You are your biggest hater, bro. No, I mean, you know, we're saying all this and this is just kind of like our way of looking at it. And we try to look at the best facts. But we're not 
I'm not being so political that we're trying to tell you to feel this way or yeah. don't feel that way. And, but and this is just the world. Like I'm not yet again. I'm not like a Putin uh, fan. I'm not condoning the actions of of Russian military aggression. But if you look at it from their point of view, it is a logical countermaneuver to American military aggression, and that's the the overlying fallacy here is this this neo brinksmanship of tit for tat you do this i'll do that it's like two guys in the locker room you call me a bitch i don't know you call me a bitch it's it's a high school mentality but the difference is we're not going to have a fist fight under the bleachers we're going to have a nuclear war so 2009 obama is drawing a hard line against russia we're sitting around in middle school we're, we're digging the red gym shorts out of our butt cracks we're looking for something to take us out of ourselves. We're looking for release. What should happen? What magic should fall from the heavens? But Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. You know what else fell with it? Something called marijuana. Yes, there is a symbiotic relationship between the devil's lettuce and the devil's video game, which is COD Mod 2. I remember, Russell, you and I driving, uh, your mom was driving, down to Ventura on the first day of Thanksgiving break to pick up Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 from GameStop. Shoutouts GameStop, I made $4 million. We were picking it up from the GameStop next to the Applebee's in Ventura. That's exactly correct. And yes. it was... It was a euphoric oh. car ride. We were like, holy shit. It felt real good. Oh, we're going to get our hands. You know, back in, the, back in those days, we didn't usually travel a distance. No, I would just go. walk you just, to your house. Yeah, you live I up the street from me. Or if you want it, maybe you ask it on your birthday or something. Yeah, let me go to, uh, let's go to Red Robin and get lit. This was the first time it was so important that you ask your mom, <laughs> drive me down <laughs> near Applebee's. Stop. You're next to Applebee's. Where's GameStop, Russell? It's next to Applebee's. <laughs> so we got the... Pa- we, we secured the package. We, we secured the package. Secured. We Threw dro- it into the PlayStation 3. Yeah, Russell was a PlayStation guy. Cameron was an Xbox guy. Jeep was an Xbox guy. I was a computer guy. I was not allowed to have consoles, but I played a lot of computer games. But this was not one of those computer games. This was a console game. And we fired that motherfucker up and we began our mission to secure American freedom in Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. And was it different than Modern Warfare 1? Absolutely. So much. The loading screen was way more intense. The music was anxiety causing. (laughs) So, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 opens up in Afghanistan, where else? It should be said that this game takes place in the year 2016. Came out in 2009, takes place in 2016, and that's one thing they got right. American troops were still fighting in Afghanistan in 2016. They're still fighting there in 2021. But... Yeah. Although the technology of the time um i think they were kind of skipping ahead more like 30 years yeah there's there's some weapons and machines in cod mod 2 that maybe we don't even have yet yeah i mean they're 
in Call of Duty Modern Warfare 1 sort of kind of reflected what we knew about Saddam and Bin Laden. But this one was uh, sort of trying to predict. And the only way to do that right was to make it fucking cool. Yeah, no, it was... It was like 10... T- if call if If the first game is a monster energy, this game is a bang energy. So it opens up in Afghanistan, and you meet a guy named General Shepard, voiced by the great Lance Henriksen, legendary character actor. He had a phenomenal star turn as the biker Chains in the 1991 epic Stone Cold. Highly recommend the movie. Great date night movie. Um, If you like bikers, if you like bloodshed, if you like Lance Henriksen, go watch Stone Cold. So, General Shepard, who is he? He's a grisly, hardcore, stone cut from stone, just brutal man. But he's awesome. He's fucking beast. He's the top guy. He's General Shepard. And he wears a beret, but it's not maroon. It's black. These these are the times when when you just don't expect any of this. This is like new games coming out. I mean, this is the first game that really was showing that graphics and imagery and like really powerful dubstep music and yeah. flashing in your Slapping eyes. Slapping dubstep blood that, squirting all over the that screen. Was to come. Yeah. And this is way before Fortnite kids. It's 2009. Yeah. This is decades ago. And technically. We thought that the you know certain clips from Modern Warfare 1 were bad. Well, yeah. And and at the time we didn't really notice they were bad. We just thought it was cool. Like the this execution time, of Khaled al-Assad. This time this game had some moments where we kind of knew that yeah. This isn't so good. This is this is War Crimes the game. Okay? <laughs> this is Call of Duty Modern War Crimes. So, you're in Afghanistan. Your name is Private Joseph Allen. You're another all-American, totally cool guy who likes to drink beer, you like to fuck, but you don't like the Taliban. You're fighting it out with them, all right? You're shooting it out, and General Shepard sees you, and he's like, this guy's a beast. He's hot, he's tough, he's got grit. And he recruits you into Task Force 141. And you know what that means? No, 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 but they have a cool logo. They have a cool name. It's a skull. It's like one four one, and it's a uh, it's something. Yeah, you are now a member of Task Force One Four One. They're like a CIA boy band, and you go <laughs> undercover in a Russian terrorist cell. Remember, in real life, in the real world, Russia was the new bad guy in two thousand nine. The old bad guy was the new bad guy. So who better to take on in the game than Russians? And what do Russians do a lot, according to the game? Drink. And? Blow things up. Shoot guns. So Joseph Allen is given a bunch of sick-ass Russian prison tattoos. They, they tat them out with cathedrals and snakes and all that shit. And they send him in undercover to join this guy named Makarov. Makarov. Who's the main villain? All right, you go in undercover and you're told to do everything Makarov says. Everything. Earn his trust. So this leads to probably the most infamous moment in video game history. The mission is called No Russian 
it opens up in an elevator and you're standing with a bunch of dudes fitted up for battle. Full body armor, machine guns, and three-piece suits. And my first thought was, this will be a cool, like, spy kind of urban mission. Something's cool happening. Last time, you know, last mission ended with you going undercover. So here we are. Yeah, last I was like, I was on riding a snowmobile, and now I'm in an elevator. Like, this is fun. This game is great. Yeah, cool. A lot of machine guns. I would say at this point, I'm thinking better than the first. Yeah. I'm definitely thinking that. Well. So, Makarov, who you're undercover with, turns to you. He's got spiky black hair and dead eyes. And he says, remember, no Russian. Now I'm thinking, okay, what does that mean? We are Russian. I mean, we're, we're really excited at this point because this little screen popped up before we played the mission. Yes, yes, said, elaborate. It said, um, this mission contains a lot of gore. Um, basically, uh, now what it said basically to us in our eyes is, if you're a pussy, skip this mission. If you're not a pussy, ready to lay down, play this mission. And so we played it. Of course we played the mission. So we're excited. So the elevator doors open. And in front of you stand, in front of you is a crowded airport terminal. Men, women, children. It's packed. Packed airport terminal. Still in my mind, I'm going, okay, what do we... Maybe we're security for the airport? We're going to go find someone. Yeah, right? Maybe this is like a... Who knows? Yeah. Well, things take a turn. Makarov and your other guys raise their machine guns and aim at the crowd. Now I'm thinking, okay... Now, if I remember correctly... Dream sequence, maybe. Yeah, if I remember correctly, um, obviously your gun is kind of lifted up but you have to press a button to really lift your gun yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a sort of feeling like it's t- it's like, hey, are you going to shoot or not? And it's really Do you, weird. Well, you don't, want, you don't want to blow your cover yeah. with Makarov. Yeah, and you're like... Shepard told you not to. If you don't shoot, are they going to like shoot you? Do they know? Right. So... So they start unloading on all the people in the airport. Innocent people. Just people, just regular day folks trying to fly to St. Petersburg to watch the football game or whatever the fuck Russians do. I'm trying to block this in my head and just think there's something in the video game for this to make sense. So I guess I'm kind of shooting too. No, yeah, no. I was I was holding the trigger down. Yeah. You have to. You, you, have, have, you can't blow your cover. Yeah. So you commit a mass murder. No, yeah. Like, there's blood. There's screaming. If it's, this happened in real life, it would probably, probably be the highest, like... No, it's, it's like you're killing hundreds of people by the time the mission ends. The police show up. You fight with them. It's seeping into my juvenile brain that this is inherently wrong, but I can't stop playing the mission. Yeah. And, I, I mean, it's... Because I can't I, blow my cover. I'm, I'm sure everyone, uh, people listening have either played it or heard of it, and probably some people don't know about it. Um, it's truly hard. It's but I don't really want to go into the details of, of what you do. But there's people crawling around and it's really fucked up. It's an evil mission. So it ends. You get to your getaway van. And Makarov turns to you, pulls out a pistol, and shoots you in the head. He knew you were CIA the whole time. He knew it. And just like the first Modern Warfare, the beginning character, the American guy. The American hero, Joseph Allen, is gunned down. 
and for what, uh, why did you play that mission? Just to learn that they knew you were CIA. And to see how truly bad Makarov is. In case you had any questions yeah. about what you were going to do. It wasn't like they would, I mean, they could make a mission that, you know, was less violent or maybe didn't show that much and then reveal that he knows and kills you. But why not do a mission showing Russians Evil, evil Russian soulless, murderous Russians devouring their own kind. And then making us, eighth graders... Framing America. Uh, do it. That's the gist here, is Makarov did this to frame the United States. And it works like a charm. And Russia is gearing up to invade our country as retaliation. Well, Shepard is like, holy fuck... Bad news for us, boys. And we're thinking, we just played this mission and killed all these innocent people. It was really terrible. How do we feel? Let's keep playing. Yeah, I mean, we have to make this right somehow, right? Yeah. So Shepard sends Task Force 141, who you're now playing as a member of. He sends Task Force 141 to Brazil to track down Makarov's arms dealer. Brazil. Cue the shakers. Cue the horns. You're going to Rio de Janeiro. Now, Russell, you are, are the 805 and Revolt podcasts. Uh, you are our Latino expert, being that you are a quarter Mexican. Please explain to us how realistic was this portrayal of favela life in Call of Duty. Oh, so realistic. I mean, don't you know... That Soccer. Latin, that Latin America, all of South America, Latin America, it's all the same. I mean, oh man, when you're in Brazil, they portray it like you're in Cuba in 1950, and it is, well, maybe 1960, and it is just so spot on. Yes. People are wearing short sleeve shirts. Uh, there's sort of just pan flute music playing in the background. The sun is out. They're, they're driving randomly. They're just driving Soviet vehicles. Yeah, in Brazil. And Brazil has a lot of Soviet vehicles. Everyone knows this. Yeah, okay. Everything's bad. So you're tracking down an arms dealer. You find him. And what do you do? You torture him with a blowtorch. It shows this. Yes. Now, the, the man doing the torture is your new comrade, Ghost. Ghost. Who never shows his face. He really wears a cool. ski mask the whole time. He's the guys of this game. He is a cool guy. Ghost. So Ghost and you torture this motherfucker, and he gives up that Makarov has an arch enemy that he keeps hidden in a, in a gulag in Siberia. This is Makarov's number one enemy, and he locks him up. So let's fucking go to Siberia. So let's go Why from not? Brazil to Siberia. It's a quick flight. Yeah. You know? It's close by. Let's so. make every place generic. Right. So you and the boys in Task Force 141. Gets on a JetBlue flight, because they fly JetBlue, because, you know, they're thrifty. They get on a JetBlue flight, they go from Rio to Siberia. That's like a two-hour flight. Like, whatever. So what? So what? Watch a Fast and the Furious movie, we'll eat some peanuts. No biggie. But what they don't know is that the Russian menace has invaded the United States. They have stormed the capital. They've dropped in... They've and dropped in Red Dawn style. Known, who would have known it's so easy? It was effortless. You got MiGs flying over the interstate. You got Ruskies parachuting into Northern Virginia, which is where you now play as an American soldier. 
You're in the Virginia suburbs, and you're fighting it out with Russians in house-to-house combat. You're thinking, holy shit. Can this really happen? Yeah, no, I actually was visible. I was shocked when I first saw yeah. this mission. When you see the Russian planes flying over America, like uh, the genius of it was, they designed the the maps these these missions. You're playing in this suburban kind of generic like world that could be anywhere. It could yeah. be in any state. It looks like Thousand Oaks. Yeah, it could be anywhere. I was in Thousand Oaks a few days ago, and I was <laughs> struck by how similar it looked to these missions, where it's just. House after house, double decker, kind of colonial architecture, and that's what they hedgerows, do. and then strip malls. Yeah, that's and what they do. They design every every mission is designed if it whatever country it's in, it's the g- generic. Oh, it's version it's of the most so yeah. Recognize it, but this becomes a motive because you're like, I've been to this place, mm-hmm. and they're attacking me. Like I'm not from Thousand Oaks, but I've been there. <laughs> you know, I've seen these places, and now these Russians are like lighting things on fire. You got big Russian tanks rolling around in front of a Nordstrom rack. Okay? So, in the battle for Virginia, the climactic gunfight takes place at a burger town, which is just Burger King. You're fighting for control of a burger town with the Russian <laughs> special forces, which I could see the army actually, if, if we were invaded by Russia, prioritizing Burger King over like evacuating civilians. Yeah. Or like, you know, helping out people. And there's already McDonald's in Russia, so they don't care about that. Place. Yeah, they already have they've already taken that. They want they want the <laughs> Whopper. They want the nacho fries and they're coming for them. And you have to protect corporate interests over people every day, all day. You're a writing, titan, fighting son of a bitch. They want you to know that they could take the fast food from you. Your beloved Burger King. They could murder the king. And then who would serve you Whoppers? But you hold the line and you protect Burger Town. Of course you do. Meanwhile, the 141 assaults this Siberian gulag. And guess who the prisoner was? Guess who this shadowy phantom was? Russell, guess. Huh. I don't know. Someone that we thought was dead? Gone? Yes. Guess. Keep guessing. Keep guessing. Was he from Modern Warfare? He might have been. Was he last seen coughing up blood? He might have been. Tell him. Warmer. It's Captain Price. Captain Price. So you liberate Captain Price, and he has a genius idea. You're like, hey, dude, the world's fucked up. And he says, we're going to commandeer a Russian sub. And you do. You just do it. You attack a Russian sub base, you get on a sub, and you fire a nuclear missile into the Earth's atmosphere which detonates and creates an electromagnetic pulse that knocks out satellites and all the power in America goes away. So in the middle of a battle, you go back to America, you're shooting it out, and now you're in Washington, D.C., right? Yes, it's, it's, you see the White House, but, but it does. there's no logic in it. There's no logic in no. that. But <laughs> why does that matter when, holy shit, how cool is it when you're playing the game, you have no idea that that's going to happen? the lights... Then, Bang! Helicopters. Helicopters and fighter jets drop like the rain. All the lights go off. Your infrared sight dies. Yeah. Everything goes dark. Dark. Except for the flames flames of battle. Flames everywhere. And your sergeant, who is voiced by Keith David, the uh, very talented actor, Keith David from the John Carpenter movie uh, They Live, from The Thing. He's a guy, he's in Community, season six. Keith David says, 
we're going to use this to our advantage. And you do because you're on your home turf now and the Russians, they don't know what's coming for them. So guess what? You win. America wins. You win. You get to see the White House. You get to it. You, well, you, you see it burn, but the Russians are occupying the White House, but you take it back. Take it back. And then Go one, a guy in your team looks to you and says, we're going to burn Moscow out of the ground and a bunch of F-18s fly overhead and you win. So America is saved thanks to the work of 141. Now all that's left to do is hunt down Makarov. Do you remember who Makarov was? No, I don't. We didn't either back then, and um, we just saw the faces. There's so many names. All right, so you're going to find Makarov, the man who's responsible for starting World War III by using the CIA's own tactics against them. So... Task Force 141 splits up. Ghost, you and Ghost go to a remote safe house in the Russian mountains where Makarov is believed to be hiding. Very similar to Al-Assad. He's hiding in a safe house. There's no, he's not there. It's an, it's an ambush. You're stormed by troops. You shoot your way out. You're calling for an evac. General Shepard, you hear Ghost. We need evac. General Shepard, where's my air support? General Shepard, Ghost, we're dying. Ghost is usually, he is usually calm oh, he's and cool. awesome. Because he wears he's, a scheme. You never actually, see his face. Yeah, he's yeah. A, but he's freaking out now. You're now worried. you're like, if Ghost is worried. Not your character. You are worried yeah. sitting there playing. Because you've seen guys die. And you've seen Griggs die. And you're getting flashbacks. You you know how war actually is. Yeah. I mean, folks, you, you lost a checkpoint. You had to go back. Okay? You bear the scars of the modern warfare. But, hey, you shoot your way out. And finally, the cavalry comes. Black oh, Hawks yeah. descend. Guys in all black zipline down. Who is it? Who is it? Who's rescued A me? big transport helicopter comes down. The back opens up. General Shepard. Hell yeah. All-American hero with a big-ass Magnum revolver in his hand. And he's firing at the Russians. Get in. Get in. You run to him. And you hand him the hard drive from Makarov's computer, which you took as sort of a compensation prize. You're like, okay, we'll get the intelligence. Do you have the the hard drive? He asks. Here it is, sir. You hand it to him. Slow motion. Slow mo. And you know what happens in slow mo. That's one less loose end, he says. He shoots Ghost. So sad. He shoots you. What? You drop to the floor. No. His men men pick up your bodies and they do a one, two, three, heave-ho kind of a thing where they throw you into a ditch. They pour gasoline on you. Shepard walks up, lights a cigar... Takes a big fucking drag and tosses that Cuban onto you. And you watch his ghost's body is inflamed. And you are further inflamed. You see yourself burning. Yeah, you, it's remi- it reminds you of the original Modern Warfare when the nuke goes off. And yes. You're crawling around the Holocaust. And you think to yourself, is this really the end of a video game where I... Had to commit genocide in this huge airport. I committed mass murder just to be killed by this man. And what a twist. And I... It was shocking. And what a... I was was like freaked out when it happened. Yeah. But it sort of... It gets to, I think, the genius of what Cod is telling us. That the real enemy is the deep state. (laughs) General Shepard is the deep state. 
and the deep state is pulling all the strings. And let's be honest, he's probably a pedophile. Yeah. Right? I mean, he seems cool, but Tom Hanks seemed cool. But guess what? Tom Hanks is a pedophile. So, so uh, yeah. Now, Captain Price and Soap are able to avoid being murdered by Shepard's men who are called Shadow Company, which is really cool. Yeah, that's very cool. That is cool. Um, but your character died, and that's what import- what's important. Yeah. And you're kind of pissed off. And now you're playing as Soap once again. And it's Soap and Captain Price back in the saddle. And they devise a crazy, reckless, wild suicide mission to take out General Shepard. Where is he hiding? In his mountain fortress in Afghanistan. Full circle, baby. Yeah, he's now he's like... Uh, he's like a he's, warlord. He's like a warlord, yeah. He's like a warlord with yeah. his own private army. And how are they funding this private army? Probably trafficking heroin. Yeah. I, I do think they this was sort of a, this was sort of a genius. It's like Call of Duty as as reactionary and right wing as its politics are, they're also sort of admitting that the military industrial complex does whatever it wants and yeah. has free reign and isn't constrained by any checks and balances and is just like a, a a murderous Leviathan. So that is what it is. You go to Afghanistan, you find Shepard, you shoot it out, he's winning. He's on top yeah, of you. He's, he's you. beating the shit out of you. He's beating up Captain Price. With your last breath, you pull out a knife and you throw it. Slow mo. Slow mo. Now slow mo is something that they like. That after that they like to use a lot. In yes. Slow mo became a mainstay of the COD world. Like every mission had it. But yeah. But back then, this is only the second time you've seen slow mo in the campaign. Yeah. And the knife finds its mark in General Shepard's face. Dead. We got him. Yeah. I mean, we got him. Folks, we got him. Now, what's next? What's next? You get medevaced by your friend Nikolai, who's a Russian gregarious helicopter pilot. You kind of sit, yeah, you kind of sit playing the game. Not really playing, but just watching it end. Um... More thinking about the fact that you got shot in the face and burned. I mean, you don't really give a shit anymore. It's just, you're sweaty again. You're exhausted. <laughs> you're exhausted. You're sweaty. You have to go to school tomorrow. You have to go to school. It's Tuesday. You got you got miss, uh, you got got miss that English class first period. You didn't yeah. do the homework. But what you look forward to, it because you know everyone's playing it. Everyone is playing. When is... you get to school the next day, you just look forward to talking to everybody about it. This was this was the one redemptive quality of Call of Duty Modern Warfare. Everybody played it. Every kid from every social group, every cast of the middle school cast system played COD Mod. It wasn't hard to play, like beat like the game. No, you can put it on recruit, yeah. which I did. I mean, no yeah. shame in my game. I played on recruit, fellas. It only takes a week about. I mean, some... Depends on who you are. Depends on how much Mountain Dew you drink. Yeah, In my case, it was a lot. Mountain Dew, a greasy uh, Xbox 360, and, you know, <laughs> you can get faster. But Shepard is dead. Ding Dong, the witch is dead. Deep State has been destroyed. Modern Warfare 3 comes out. Neither of us have ever played no. it. We don't give a fuck about it. It's non-canon. So this is the Call of Duty episode. This is the retrospective. I think... Black Ops is a whole other thing. Black Ops is, wasn't really our vibe. We played uh, it. The first yeah, one was yeah. kind of interesting. They tried to make connections, but no. After this one, 
I think sort of the 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 scene that captures the politics of Call of Duty. We'll leave you with this: the scene that best captures the the ethos, the philosophy of these games, is when General Shepard is talking to the Secretary of Defense, who is a cuck. That's how gnarly the COD universe is. That the Secretary of Defense is a soy boy. Yeah. Okay. And he tells Shepard after the invasion of America, he says, "We were wrong. We doubted you." You have a blank check. And that's what it is. Blank check. The only way to save America is to give the military more money. You were wrong. Give them more money. Give them an indefinite amount of money. There is no amount too high to fund our boys. And that's that's a setup for the next one, I guess, too. Probably. We, did, we never matter. played I mean, it. It's just so true, though. It's just like, oh, we are wrong. Here's a blank you know, it's a blank check. Yeah. Do what the fuck you want. Go kill some foreigners. Because I think the creators of Call of Duty at that point were like, we don't know what the setup for the next one will be, but right now, currently, in the yeah. real world, drones are blank just check. striking everywhere. Drones, war on every continent, Obama is... What do you know about about the next video game you get the flight of the drones yes drones became a mainstay in the codverse so what game these two games captured the spirit of the late bush administration and early obama administration and a period in our nation's history where every single step you took as a child as a young adult was shaped by the war it was a war of culture it was a war of education Everything had this militant, this militant twist. Everything. everything, our entire society was converted into this. This, I mean, we we are Rome. We are the new Roman Empire. We don't have spears and shields. We have drones and Mountain Dew. And I believe the. <laughs> and that's. I believe Modern Warfare was was like the one of the first video games for PlayStation Three. And yeah. Xbox and Xbox Three Sixty. It was like kind of made for that in that era. Some of the most effective propaganda I've ever encountered. This podcast especially goes out to those who are to in those soldiers, <laughs> to those brave soldiers who who killed Shepard. It goes out to everybody who was in their early teens. Yes, when uh, these games. If came you were twelve out. when these games came out, like we were, if you fought alongside Griggs and Gaz, if you fought alongside Ghost in the favelas, if you took down, you saw that nuke in the sky that. <laughs> shut down the U.S. power grid yeah. that for some reason was a, the right thing to do. Yeah. This is for you. You oh. remember the missions. Hey, Task Force Pegasus, over and out. No Russian. <laughs>